Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand your word again. Lord, we ask you today to open our minds, open our understanding, show us wonderful things from your word, Lord. I pray that you'd make it plain to us. Help us to hear it and help us to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we talk about continuing in prayer, he's talking about, he talks about prayer as if it's something that you're already doing. So this kind of begs some of the context. We can see that in Colossians. Lord, help me to preach today. Help me to feed your flock. Help me, Lord God, to rightly divide the word of the truth. Unctionize me. Fill me with your spirit. Strengthen me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and a faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. We've referenced this before. He's talking to the saints and the faithful brethren, which are in Christ, which are at Colossae. We've talked about how that as a Christian, if you are born again by the power of God, you are a saint. The Catholic Church does not have a corner on the market. In fact, they're not even in the market. There's never been a true Catholic, part of the Catholic Church that ever was a saint, and there never will be because the Catholic Church is not of God. It's actually of the devil, and we've talked about that before. I'm not trying to pick on them. It's just the raw reality. The Catholic Church um, is, you say, well, why, why would you say that? Well, if you knew the Bible and you studied Um, the Bible carefully, and then you went and were a part of anything the Catholics were a part of and saw what they do and heard what they said and read their prayer books and or any of that, you would know yourself. Again, I'm not picking on Catholics. I love Catholic people. I want them to get saved. I don't want them to go to hell. They're on their way to hell and they need to be saved. You say, can you be saved and be a Catholic? You cannot be saved and stay a Catholic. If you get saved as a Catholic, you won't be a Catholic very long because the Catholic religion it flies in the face of everything that Jesus Christ is. It teaches salvation by works through grace, through faith, through the church. And it mixes all these extra things in with it. Apart from the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ, they usurp every part of who Jesus Christ is. We're talking about prayer here. And as we get into this, um, we're looking at the context of who this book of Colossians is written to, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So these Christians at Colossae were saints. They didn't need need Pope Innocent to christen them saints. They were already saints. And they were saints because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It says in chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So the prayer of the apostle and his evangelistic band is now being commanded to be reflected in the saints for which he was praying in chapter 1. He says, we're praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. 
By the way, this holds over in the book of Corinthians. The church at Corinth was the most carnal church uh, mentioned by the apostles in their letters. The only church that perhaps passes up Corinth and rebukes in the word of God is the church of Laodicea in the letters to the churches by the letters from Jesus Christ directly through the apostle John in the book of Revelation where he said to the church of Laodicea, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. But the church of Corinth was a very carnal church. They were full of strifes and seditions and heresies. They were full of sin and wickedness. And yet Paul told the church at Corinth, he said to them, you are called to be saints when he addressed them in the opening words of the book of Corinth. So the church of Corinth was full of saints, and those saints didn't even look like saints. They weren't acting like saints, but they were saints. You don't have to build a hospital or slay a dragon to be a saint. All you have to do is to be born again by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works lest any man should boast. Now, this prayer then is a natural outflow of the life of a saint. As we've studied in Colossians, a saint has a new walk, a saint has a new nature a saint has new motivations because a saint has a new man because a saint has a new birth that he's partaken of and now he is a new creature and that saint as a new creature has a new communication you could even just carry throw this one right in with our mini series old man and new man if you wanted to and say this is a new communication and it would fit right in because that's what it is a saint has a new communication you don't have to teach a baby to talk you don't have to Now, you can teach it some ins and outs of talking and teach it some new words, but that baby will naturally learn to talk as a natural course of its life, as long as it's getting the milk. And as Christians, the milk is the word. And if you're getting the milk, which if you are truly born again, you will get the milk because you would rather have the milk than literal bread and literal milk because you desire communion with God. So as a saint, as you're getting the milk of God's word, like Peter says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of God's word that you may grow thereby, if you're consuming the milk of God's word, then pretty soon you're going to start talking. And who are you going to talk to? Well, a little baby, he might not talk to the a stranger at the store. He might not talk to the lady by the potato stand at the market, but that brand newborn little baby, as soon as he can possibly say it, will look up into his mother and his father's eyes and begin to say words like dada and mama. Dada and mama. Romans 8 says we're not that we are given a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's like daddy. Hey, daddy, daddy, daddy. And a little baby that begins to walk whenever they're a toddler and they start to walk and they fall down and they skin their knee, they cry out, Mommy, where? Mommy, daddy, help. If they get in trouble or they're scared in the middle of the night, where? Daddy, mommy. And before they even know how to say words, they figure out the wah thing, right? And they're crying even though they don't know the words to say. They don't know how to say it. They don't know how to properly address their father. 
They do not know how to say it in the way that is most respectful. So they just go, and pretty soon they're all the time. A baby as fast as they're born is crying out. And I'm telling you today, a saint, a Christian born of God doesn't have to be whipped into prayer. He doesn't have to be forced into prayer. He doesn't have to have his arm twisted into prayer. It comes as natural as breathing that whenever someone is born again, adopted by God and they have a father in heaven, and their father in heaven is communicating with them and feeding them the milk of the word that pretty soon they start crying out to their father in heaven. The Bible says in Genesis that shortly... Shortly after Seth was killed by Cain, before Noah even came on the scene, it says, then began men to call upon God. God didn't have to write a book and send it down to earth and tell people you need to pray. Men started praying because things got bad and the men that believed in God, the men that had faith in God, naturally turned to God in their distresses and cried out to God. The Bible says in the Psalms that God takes man and it mentions several different types of men in their lives, but it goes on to men who do business in the great waters and it says that their hearts fail them for fear. It says that they're going up and down in the waves and that God sends the storm and then they call upon the Lord and he hears them in their distresses and it names all these different groups of men and all these different types and places where those men get into trouble and each time it says then they called upon the Lord in their distresses and he heard them over and over again in the book of Psalms I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill speaking to God is as natural to a saint as it is for a baby to cry out to its mommy or its daddy when it's hungry. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to put incense in the pots. You don't have to have the organ playing. You don't have to have a man in long robes to pray to God if you're a saint because it comes naturally as breathing itself. So here Paul says in Colossians, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. He didn't tell them to pray because because they were already praying. They were saints, they were faithful brethren, and they were already praying. Now, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the prayer of the wicked is an abomination to God. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination to God. Now, the religions of the world will teach you to pray. They will teach you to pray unnatural prayers. They will teach you to pray prayers that are not from the heart, that are not a result of the adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The prayers that they will teach you have to be learned by discipline. So they'll get an imam to stand in a minaret and he'll um, give the prayer call and they'll hear the horn go off, the siren go off, and all the people will stop what they're doing and pull out their prayer rugs and throw them on the ground and bow their faces down to the ground and go through a ritual. And they'll say the same thing over and over again because they have to memorize their prayers because they don't know what to say because it's unnatural for them to pray. They have to be taught by man to pray. They have to be disciplined by man to pray. They have to be incentivized by man to pray and have some kind of hope of getting some kind of kudos with some heavenly being if they pray, but not so a saint of God. A man that doesn't have the spirit of God in him has to be told to pray. So come down to the church and the priest will light some candles and will sprinkle some holy water and will take you through confession and will get you set up with some prayer beads and will get out our prayer book 
which by the way I have read a Catholic prayer book standing in a sacristy sacristy of a Catholic church and it is full of blasphemy and lies about Jesus Christ and false prayers and idolatrous whisperings it's a bunch of wizardry it's a bunch of witchcraft and it's a bunch of blasphemy and I'm not speaking from other men's opinions I'm speaking from personal experience of what I myself have read in a Catholic sacristy now you take those prayers and that man that does not know how to cry to God, that woman that does not know how to cry out to God, that has nothing within them, that can speak to God and feels the emptiness and feels the void and knows that there's something missing, will grab a hold of those prayer beads and they'll start counting those prayer beads and saying the blasphemous words, Hail Mary, Mother of God, and asking Mary to get them an in with Jesus Christ. Now if you are a son of God yourself by adoption, a joint heir with Christ then why in God's holy name would you waste your breath asking Mary asking Saint George asking Saint Paul asking Saint Benedict or any other saint to go and to make intercession for you before God the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus old Job in the Bible he felt like he couldn't get a hold of God and he was trying to talk to God but he wasn't getting through do you remember that and he cried out to God and he cried out actually not even to God but there in the presence of his friends and he said oh that there was a daysman betwixt that could lay his hand upon me and lay his hand upon God then I could speak and not be afraid if only what he was saying is that there was a mediator the word daysman is an old word for a mediator and he was saying if only I could get a lawyer that could get a hold of God and with one hand and get a hold of me with the other hand and he could hold God accountable on one side to what God said he would do and he would hold me accountable on the other side to what I was supposed to do and at least I would know that there was a direct line a direct link of communication between me and God because God is holy and God is high and God is almighty and God commands the rain and God commands the wind and God made the light and God made the heavens and the stars and the moon and I can't talk to God because he's too high and he's too holy and he's too great and he's too powerful. And if I do talk to him, how can I hear him answer me? Oh, that there was a daysman betwixt that would lay his hand on me and lay his hand on God. And guess what the answer is for Job? There is a daysman betwixt. There wasn't yet, but there was one coming and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one mediator between God and man. You don't need the Pope. You don't need a priest. You don't need this preacher on this podcast. You don't need the church down the road to talk to God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now a wicked man in his sins feels that void. He feels that emptiness and he grasps and he reaches and tries to get to God. But knowing that he's not getting an answer back, you see a saint, a faithful brother in the Lord Jesus Christ will get an answer back through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go I will send you another comforter and the comforter will bring to your remembrance the things that I have told you 
and the born-again believer, the saint in Christ Jesus, the faithful brethren here at Colossae and all around the world not only can speak to God through the new and living way, we have direct access to the Holy of Holies. We no longer need a lamb to be slain. We no longer need the blood to be sprinkled on the altar because of the mediator, Jesus Christ. So we have access, but not only do we have access and not only can we talk to God, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in the heart and the soul of the believer, of the faithful brethren, and living there, he answers the believer and sends an answer back. So here Paul tells the church at Colossae, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. We're going to look at that for just a second. Go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at a couple texts here about prayer in the Bible. Praise God for his power. Praise God that he has once again honored his word by allowing a no good, dirty, rotten sinner (coughs) through the blood of Jesus Christ to preach and proclaim his word. Matthew 6, 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. So this means you're not allowed to pray outside or standing up. No, that's what the carnal mind thinks. That's how the carnal mind thinks. The idea here that you're to avoid is the hypocrisy of praying for a vain show. And he says they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Look how Christ finishes the sentence. That they may be seen of men they pray to be seen of men verily says Christ I say unto you they have their reward but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly I've met Christians who use this text to exclude all public prayer and they don't even feel like people should pray in church and Lord help them There's all kinds of other examples in the Bible about public prayer. And there's many godly and beneficial ways to have public prayer. But what Jesus Christ is teaching here is that your prayer life must be a private life primarily. That your prayer life will, will, what you are in private, your prayers in private define who you are before God and they expose who you are before God. You can stand up and give some brilliant oration in the name of prayer, but if you do not have private, communion with God you have got nothing you do it to be seen of men and you have your reward so he says but thou when thou prayest enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly but when ye pray use not vain repetitions as the Catholics do. I'm sorry, this, the Bible says as the heathen do. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, to be honest with you, because the Catholic traditions are heathen traditions that have gotten cross stickers stuck on them. And if you don't know that, I feel sorry for you. And I'm willing to talk to you about it. I hope you don't just get mad about it. I hope you look into it and find out the truth for yourself. But he says here, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, which is what the Catholics do. It says here, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, it's not just the Catholics that do this. Many religions, the Muslims do this, vain repetitions over and over and over again. They get down and they bump their forehead on the mat and say the same thing that they said 
said the time before and the time before. And Christians often do this. If you go to a prayer meeting in an average evangelical church, it's the same exact prayer requests every week. And they're never getting answered, which reveals a complete lack of faith and a lack of communion with God. We would not be praying the same unanswered prayers every single week over and over and over and over again without any results if we did not lack faith and lack communion with God to show us how to pray. These vain repetitions. You say, well, I've got a family member that's not saved and I want to pray for him, so I pray for him every week. I agree with you. I have people on my prayer list I try to pray for every day. And some days I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm guilty of vain repetitions. I go in and I say my list of names before God and I've done my duty and I've bumped my forehead on my spiritual rug and I've counted my spiritual prayer beads for the day and I move on no better than a Catholic or a Muslim or any other kind of heathen out there like a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or an Episcopalian. So we bump our heads on our prayer rugs and we move on like the heathens. He says they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. What Jesus Christ is teaching us here is that prayer is not about getting things from God. If prayer was just about getting things from God, the heathen have already got a corner on the vain repetition market. But what God is telling us here is that prayer is a lot bigger than just trying to get things from God. And by the way, if you have a gimme, gimme attitude about prayer, prayer is going to get pretty dead and pretty dull pretty fast. He says here, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. Now, we don't have time to study this out today and still study our text and get to our other verses. So we're going to move pretty fast and just comment as we go and move on. But he says, our father, which art in heaven. Now this sets apart the Christian faith from all other faiths. The Muslims pray to the almighty God, the creator of the world who they call Allah. But the Christian man who's born again by the power of God prays to his father in heaven. The Catholic man in his heathen church Praise to the so-called mother of God, which is blasphemous to say in that way. And he prays to that mother of God or to the patron saint. The Orthodox Christian prays to the saints. Many people pray to different groups. Many of the charismatics pray to the Holy Spirit. Many of the evangelicals pray to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But he said, I say not unto you that ye shall ask me, but that ye shall ask the Father in my name. And Jesus Christ taught the disciples to go directly to God the Father himself through the name of Jesus. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. That means held up as as being holy, reverenced and honored and praised. Hallowed be thy name. So the first aspect of the prayer of a saint is a prayer of reverence. If there's no reverence in the prayer, it's not the prayer of a saint. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father, which art in heaven, it begins with adoption and it begins 
with a relationship with God as my father. And it goes forward in reverence and respect. The word of God says, honor thy father and thy mother. And God Almighty is the father of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who've been adopted as sons through the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on the cross of Calvary, and through the operation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this saint is made as son of God, buried with Christ in baptism into death, but raised again with Christ in newness of life. So that saint then says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And notice the first concern of the saint, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not on there praying for a Cadillac. He's not on there even praying for the electricity to be kept on. His first prayer, his first concern after worshiping God and praising his holiness and coming to God as a child coming to his father, his first concern is the concern of the father, that the father's kingdom on earth would be advanced, that the will of the father would be carried forward. Now this right here would change most people's praying. This would change most of our prayers that we pray if our primary concern when we came to God was first and foremost the praise of Almighty God, the relationship of a child to a father, and the worship that a little child will often have for a father. A little boy looking up at his daddy thinks his daddy is invincible and it will give him everything that he needs and take care of him in any circumstance. How much more when we come to God the Father should we look up at the Almighty, invincible, immortal, only wise God and say, Abba, Father, you are holy, you are blameless, you are almighty. So here his concern is for the will of the Father, for the kingdom of the Father, and for the will of the Father. Now if my concern is for the kingdom of the Father and the will of the Father, then if God Almighty places a cross in my pathway and I find my life cut off at the beginning of my days and I find that all my plans are going to be put in disarray and my family is going to be rendered fatherless because of the will of the Father to advance his kingdom that will cost me my life then if my heart is in tune with the Father, I can go forward with joy and full assurance in the Father's will and in the Father's kingdom and that the work of the will of God will be done and that it will all work together for good. This alters my prayers completely from the very beginning. If I am praying with the kingdom of the Father and the will of the Father as my highest interest, then all of a sudden many of the petty requests that I would bring suddenly don't even matter and they fall by the wayside. I don't even have time to look at them anymore because my eyes are on the Father and on His kingdom and on His will. Moving on here, we've got to keep moving. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, we cannot study this out. I wish we could. There's so much here. Let me just dive full head first into the deepest part of this that almost nobody ever talks about. And then we'll just leave you there in the deep and you can figure out whether or not you're going to sink or swim. Jesus said, the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. 
He says, give us this day our daily bread. The bread can be likened sometimes to the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. But the greater and correct application of this daily bread is the daily life of Jesus Christ infused with my life. The daily receiving and remembrance of what he did to save me from my sins. I receive the grace that once saved me, no longer needed to save me, but to sanctify me and to make me holy and to help me to live in a, in a manner that pleases our Father. This goes far beyond wheat prices because of the Russian-Ukraine crisis. This goes far beyond what's on the grocery shelves. This deals with the innermost need of the soul of man. Job said, I have esteemed the word of thy mouth more than my necessary food. And a heart that is in tune with God cannot even hardly be hung up on the little details because it's so full of God. I'm not always there, but I need to be there. And this is where every Christian called to be a saint should live their prayer life. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Way down the list comes forgiveness for the offenses that the Christian may commit against his father throughout the day. But notice how we're instructed to pray that we would be forgiven as we have been, as we have forgiven others. Excuse me. So he goes on here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, evil can be a wicked act or it can be something bad that happens. The Bible talks about evil days. The Bible talks about an evil occurrence like a wall falling upon unsuspecting citizens of a city as an evil event, an evil occurrence. So here the cry is, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is, we give this as a foundation for prayer, a foundation for understanding what we're being instructed to in Colossians chapter 4, whenever we're told to continue in prayer. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the prayer of the saint then is entirely Christ and God the Father centric. The prayer of the saint does not glorify himself, does not seek to mitigate his personal troubles and trials on this earth. The, the, the purest prayer of the saint seeks the advantage of the kingdom of God no matter what the cost and looks at his own trials his own privations his own struggles as a small thing and as a reasonable sacrifice and as something that would Paul would call my light affliction am I not right isn't that what the Bible says that this is called our light affliction that the, the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth Though it be tried with fire, it says, and talks about the great reward that will come. This light affliction that is but for a moment in this life, for the grass withereth and the flower fadeth away. And it says that our life is even a vapor that appeareth for a short while and then vanisheth away. Jesus said, why take ye thought for the morrow? What ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. I don't always live in this place, but this is the 
the place that the Christian, that the saint is called to live in. Not worrying about tomorrow's food. Not worrying about what to wear. Not worrying about what's going to happen the next day. Now, that doesn't mean that the Christian is sitting back in a rocking chair on the porch with his foot on his bottle of moonshine and his hat tipped down over his forehead, shooing flies off of his nose while he sleeps the day away. And that's what we're going to see next. It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same. Continue in prayer and watch in the same. Now, if a man is not caring for his family, not providing for his family, he says, we're not to take thought for the morrow. So I'm just not going to go to work. I'm going to kick up my feet. I'm going to relax. I'm going to take it easy. After all, Jesus is coming soon. Y'all can just fend for yourself. God says there's no sparrow that falls that he doesn't know about. And God knows you have needs. You know better than that, I hope. We're not teaching on all that right now. But whenever a man will come with an attitude of entire devotion to God and to his will and to the advancement of his kingdom and forget about the daily needs as much as possible, God will honor that. As that man seeks the kingdom of God and the will of God. And by the way, all throughout the Bible, we're instructed to work. So a man that's concerned about the will of God will work. Whether he's laboring in the word and prayer like the apostles who would not even stop to go and wait tables, by the way. They would not stop to go wait tables. The apostles would get kicked out of most churches today because all they wanted to do was study the Bible and pray. And that doesn't count for anything in our culture. But that was considered work by God and it was considered work by the apostles and it was considered work by the early church and there is a time and a place for that kind of work but there's a work that's done with a rake and a work that's done with a shovel and a work that's done with a chainsaw and there's work that's done on your knees with a writing tablet and a pen and a bible open that can only be done in quiet and alone and while you're in seclusion from the cares and the riches of this world and it is a necessary work it's a necessary work for preachers to take part in. The apostles gave themselves, the Bible says, to the word of God and to prayer. And we'll look at that a little bit in just a second. Go to Luke 18 quickly. Now it already talked about the vain repetitions of the heathen. They think that they will be heard for their much speaking. But here's a parable that seems to contradict that. We're trying to move quickly here. Um, Luke 18 And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That means not to give up or grow weary in it. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I feel like I've left some loose ends. We're going to have to go back and grab them before we move on. The first one, we t- the first loose end we left, we talked about praying the same request over and over again. I want my family to be saved and I can fall into the trap of just repeating it. What are you praying today to happen to your family? 
What are you praying for today? When you come to God and say, oh God, save my aunt, save my uncle. Oh God, help my brother, help my daddy to get saved. Is it just the same empty repetitious prayer? Or do you have a specific prayer for that day, for God to do something that day? God, today, touch my daddy. Today, open his eyes. Today, touch my mommy. Today, touch my brother. Lord, send somebody today. Lord, send conviction today. Lord, do something today. You can pray for the same people 365 days a year for 30 years. And it not be vain repetitions if you are praying in a daily sense instead of praying a general prayer that just throws a name at God like you're hurling some kind of thought waves at the gates of heaven and leaving them there for God to worry about. You pray specifically, pray directly, pray in a time frame and you can pray over and over and over again but it better be a fresh prayer every time. Now we talked about a man working or not working, what does it mean to continue in prayer and watch in the same? The watching in the same is the continuation of prayer. Notice here that Jesus said, that the unjust judge said, by her continual coming she will weary me. And this is given as an example. We don't have time to preach and teach this parable. But one thing I wanted to notice, I believe the Lord would have us to notice, is that this woman, by her continual coming, gained her request from God. Or from the unjust judge and God said how much more will God avenge his elect he says I tell you he will avenge them speedily So as you come to God time and time again, you make it specific, you make it targeted, you make it with time on it. God today, God right now, God something needs to happen right now and you wrestle with God in your soul in the moment, in the hour that we are in. Not some kind of fly by night generality. And and why do we do that by the way? Why do we do that? What's that? Because we don't have faith. So we're patting ourselves for when we don't see the answer. That's what we're doing. Well, we know God's not really going to answer our prayer in the deepest part of our heart. So we don't pray anything specific. We keep it nice and general. So that way we can have our little prayer time, feel good about completing our Christian duty, just like the heathen, with another vain repetition. And when we see no results and no change, we can pat ourselves on the back that we made our prayer general enough that God didn't have to bother answering it and for us to, to or we might lose our faith or our children might lose our faith that's the real reason that we don't pray specifically and in time frames and in time basis now if you're going to pray specifically you better be walking with God long before you do that so that you're praying according to his will how often oh Lord help us we don't have time to cover everything how often do we pray in the exact opposite of what we just prayed for Let me give you an example um, of a woman that this morning was praying and she said she was praying and seeking God and she said, oh God, I don't have a preacher. Oh God, I don't have a pastor to pray with me. I don't have a church. Why God? Why God? Just please send a preacher to pray with me this morning. 
She had some terrible situations going on in her life. In the meanwhile, she headed to the to the garbage dump and was setting up some kind of thing there. And I got to the garbage dump late and it was completely outside my plan. I had tried to go twice before and hadn't been able to because it had been so busy and so overfull that they couldn't take anything else, which is not normal at that place. So here I was with my stinking garbage that was getting old and getting smelly and I was getting irritated, but I finally got there and it was empty and I could get in and here she was and God prompted me and I went over to her and I talked to her and she told me what a difficult time she was having and I'd given her a gospel of John and a book of Romans and she recognized that I was a preacher and I said let's pray and she started weeping saying God has answered my prayer. I was praying for a preacher to pray with me and we prayed and as we prayed I'm not going to go into the specifics but basically I prayed that God would alleviate the situation of sin in in her family members that was burdening her and grieving her but as I prayed I felt distinctly prompted to pray something else I said Lord God if there's anything in this woman's heart that is keeping her from being in the place of your power and your presence and your blessing And she said, oh, yes, God. I said, please do something right now and turn her and change her and show her her sin so that she can change. And she cried out, yes, God, do it, God. I want to be right with you, God. And I said, God, she wants to be right with you. Show her if there's anything that is keeping her from the blessing and from the peace that she's asking for. Lord God, show her. And she said, God, show me. I want to be used by you, God. I want to be right with you with you God and we got done praying and she was thanking God and she told me this is a divine appointment I was just praying for a preacher to come and pray with me and here you are and you were praying with me God is using you I said I said lady I said dear lady come come to church come on and and I said listen well we will we can pray with you at church we're having prayer meeting tonight at seven o'clock come on and pray and she said all right that's wonderful I want to be there where are you going and I said the name of my church which I don't care to mention it's on there you can find it but I said the name of my church where my pastor preaches and she said oh the tears dried up the crying dried up oh I went to that church for three years and people didn't talk to me and nobody cares about me there and nobody loves me and I said lady you just prayed and said God if there's anything wrong in my heart Show me. I want to be used of you. I said, lady, you went to church for you and not for Christ. And you're out of church and you need to let that stuff go and forgive and forget whatever wrongs you think were done. And you need to be back in church. And she said, well, God sent you today. I said, I'm sent out of that church that you're out of fellowship with. I go to that church and that church thereby has a direct part in the ministry that you received from me this morning. God sent that church to you and that's the church you need to get back into. She said, I'm sure you have things to do do today. Go, um, goodbye, and thank you for praying. This is what I'm talking about. 
A lot of times we pray and we don't want God to answer. We're afraid of God's answer. There's things we're hiding, things that we're out of fellowship with God about. And we'll cry and we'll pray and we'll weep. Oh God, do this for me. Oh God, change my circumstances. Oh God, provide for me. But we're not willing to get to business with God and yield to the the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. We've got grudges we're holding on to. We've got secret sin. We've got bitterness. We've got anger. We've got covetousness. We've got wrath and malice and strife and seditions in our heart and we won't let go of it. And because of that, our prayers are an abomination to God. Now this woman came with her continual coming. And the woman that I met this morning, she said she'd been praying and praying and praying and praying. Oh God, why don't I have a preacher? And sometimes we pray and pray and pray and pray because we're praying out of the will of God and we don't know the mind of God and we don't want the kingdom of God to be advanced. We want the kingdom of me, myself, and I to be advanced. We don't want the will of God to be done. We want the will of me, myself, and I to be done. And we want God to bend over backwards and to feather our bed and to, and to sprinkle rose petals all down the path that we're supposed to go. And so this is an abomination of prayer. Now it says here this woman kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and God answered her. And let me just warn you today, if you keep coming to God and keep coming to God and keep coming to God, let me warn you today, beware, God's going to answer your prayer. You better watch out, God's going to answer your prayer. And if you're not ready, you're not going to like the answer when it comes. If your heart's not right with God, you're not going to want the answer when it comes. You say, I just want to know if I'm saved. I just want to be sure about my salvation. Is that true? You pray about that day after day. But when God tells you the answer, are you going to be ready to do business with God? What if God tells you, you're lost. Your whole life has been a, has been a joke. It's fake religion. You're not filled with the Spirit. You're filled with another Spirit. You need to get saved, get born again. And you're saying, oh God, I just want to walk closer to you. God, I want to be more like you. God, I want to be holy. God, I want to praise you better. God, I want to know you better. And God says, you're lost. What are you going to do about it? You better watch out. You better watch out. This prayer business is a real thing. God conducts business through prayer. And when you pray, the courtroom of heaven gets busy. Orders get sent, angels get sent, work starts happening, and you better watch out. God's going to answer your prayer, but are you ready for the answer when it comes? God says here, watch unto prayer. Continue in prayer and watch in the same. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, go there real quick. We're going to look at four verses in Acts and move quickly. Try and get done here within the hour. We've got about 15 minutes. Lord, help us. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So before Pentecost, they continued with one accord with prayer and supplication. Chapter 2 and verse 42. After the Spirit of God came. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking in bread and in prayers. 
By the way, if you think you got Pentecost, but you don't continue in the apostles' doctrine, and you don't continue in fellowship and in breaking in bread and prayers, but instead you go and live like the world and of the world, and you enjoy fellowship with the world and the things of the world, you didn't get God's Pentecost. It says here they continued in prayer. So before Pentecost fell, before the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, they were continuing in prayer. And after Pentecost came, they were continuing in prayer. Go to chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. There they go to spend an hour in prayer. At the hour of prayer. I don't know how long they were going to spend, but at the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Again, you have prayer. And in Acts chapter 6, by the way, no prayer. In Acts chapter 5, that's where the lying hypocrites claimed that they were doing spiritual things and God killed them. And killed church growth when he did it and didn't care too bad that he did. You know, if our deacons cared the same way God cares about church growth, pastors in this country might have some friends him to preach the truth when we're so worried about killing church growth pastors are all bottled up and the deacon board and everybody else is going to kick them out if they preach something that offends people you read acts chapter 5 god offended some people and he used peter to do it killed church growth the greatest church growth in the history of the world from absolute zero in the whole world of New Testament churches to a growing, exploding, burgeoning New Testament church, several thousand strong, and God killed church growth over their hypocrisy. Now in Acts chapter 6, we have prayer again, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And there's the apostles making a full-time ministry of prayer and the word. Now, there's a lot of fake ministries out here that are full-time so-called ministries that are not true biblical prayer or true biblical ministry of the Word. That's not what we're talking about today. Now, prayer is as natural to the new man as learning to talk is to a baby. We've talked about that. Let's look at this watch real quick. Lord, help me. Speed up. So watch. Go to Mark 13 quickly. Lord, help my voice. Mark 13. I don't like being hoarse, but it kind of seems to go with the territory. Mark 13, verse 34. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore... For ye know not when the master of the house coming cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now, I used to really get bothered by this text. I used to think, well, Lord, how, if, what if it's uh, 1 o'clock in the morning? I'm supposed to be sleeping. 
and you come back and I'm not watching. And then one day the Lord did a mighty thing in my life and he changed me. He filled me through and through with his Holy Spirit An immersion or to use the word as a verb as it's supposed to be used. He baptized me in his Holy Spirit, which means immersed me in the power and love and soundness of mind as his Holy Spirit of his Holy Spirit. The result of that was a deep hunger and thirst after righteousness, a desperate desire for the word of God and understanding spirit so that I can now understand things in the word of God that before were a complete mystery to me. I had understood salvation, but much of the rest of the Bible had been left dark until God so filled me with his spirit and poured out his spirit upon me. And one of the things that he did was he put prayer in me like it had never been before. And when he did that, God will waken me sometimes to pray. And if you're walking in the spirit, you're not going to miss the coming of Christ in the sense of watching whenever he comes because he's going to wake you up for it. I have total faith in that. I believe that. Now, if you are eating and drinking and drunken and, and beating the men's servants and the maid servants and you're not walking in the spirit, then you're probably not going to be awake. You'll probably be sleeping and be ashamed when he comes. Thank God he'll still come. So here he says, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now this is his house, his kingdom on earth. He gave authority, that's the name of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he gave a work, that's the great commission. Lord, help us. We could preach this whole thing and we don't have time. We're going to skip on. He commanded them to watch, that is to pray without ceasing. Now to watch means to maintain a vigil, to stay alert, to focus on the object of watching, which is the master. To watch means to be ready when he comes home so that whenever he shows up, the door opens before his hand knocks on it and you're standing there bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with a clean house ready for the master to come in. That's the idea. And for this to happen, you have to watch against sleep. You have to watch against imposters. You have to watch against thieves. You have to watch against evil beasts. You have to keep the lamp trimmed and oil in your vessels. The word of God says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we're told to watch in prayer. Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane before his death on the cross, before his betrayal, he gathered up his disciples and took them out there to the Mount of Olives and he told them watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation to watch in prayer is to enter into a state of prayerfulness where your heart and your mind are centered on the kingdom and the will of God and you are meditating on the truth of God not asking God to heal your bunions not asking God to heal the crick in your neck but instead focused entirely on the advancement of the gospel of God in this land to watch prayerfully listening in your spirit for the direct impulses and instruction of the Holy Spirit of what to pray specifically about and then praying specifically about it.
This is a very spiritual work. It's a very taxing work. It's a very hard work. And it's a very private work. To watch in prayer cannot be done in a public setting. It can be done with other Christians who have gathered together for group prayer. But it cannot be done in a public setting. It must be done privately. And as the Christians enter into a total focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, he reveals his will to them in prayer through prayer about what to pray about you say wait a second are you talking about some kind of new revelation well not really but yes I'm not talking about a new revelation of the word of God I'm talking about specific revelation to the spirit of a man as to what he should do next where he should go who he should preach the gospel to what Bible verses to preach on next by the way if you've got a preacher who doesn't know how to watch and pray and find out what God wants him to preach you ain't got a preacher that's what it means to preach you gotta watch and pray and open your Bible and focus on God and get direct spiritual revelation in your heart through the promptings of the Holy Spirit of what scripture verses to preach and that has nothing to do with a new revelation of some kind of prophecy that has everything to do with being in the more sure word of prophecy Now, praise the Lord. We're going to move on. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. Now, this with thanksgiving ties back in to what we studied yesterday um, in Colossians 3.15. Go there quickly. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your heart to the which you are called in one body and be ye thankful. And we observe that the peace of God ruling in your heart comes from the word of God, which is then mentioned in verse 16. You can go back and get that podcast, which was the peace of God and study that out in detail. I encourage you to do it. But the peace of God that ruling in your heart through the word of God gives you a spirit of thankfulness. And this prayer that you watch in the same, it says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now this thanksgiving is powerful. Most people don't understand, I'm sure I do not even grasp the depth of it, but most people I think have missed the power of thanksgiving in prayer. The power of thanking God for things. Now there's a group out here that just names it and claims it. They name a catalog, Cadillac and claim it. I saw a man buying a lottery ticket and he said, ah, I never win anyway. And the lady behind the counter said, that you just don't have faith. You got to have more faith. Ooh. Well, that's not biblical faith. That's some kind of pixie dust faith, but that's for another time. The point is, that man couldn't be thankful because he didn't have faith and because he didn't have anything sure to rest upon. And if you have a lottery ticket kind of prayer life where you're asking God for a bigger house and a better car and a prettier wife and a skinnier husband and all these kinds of things, and you're asking God for things to fulfill the lust of your flesh instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you're not going to have the kind of prayer life that you can apply thanksgiving to. In fact, you will always be feeling like God still owes you something because you've prayed so much and so often for so much, and yet He's given you so little. 
But if your prayer life is centered on the kingdom of God and on his will, then suddenly you're going to find yourself filled with thanksgiving because your prayer life is based on the more sure word of prophecy. And your prayer life is based on the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart as you pray in accordance with the known will of God in the scriptures. And as you pray in accordance with the known will of God and are watching, continuing in prayer and watching in the same, you see God answering specific prayers. You say, oh God, I've come to you for 4,000 days praying for my nephew Johnny. And he's still out in the world. And he's still living in sin. And I want him to be saved, Lord. God, in Jesus' name, touch him today. Send a preacher today. Now, if you just made that prayer up from your own heart, it may or may not come to pass. But if you have been continuing in prayer and watching in the same, and you've been in your Bible, you've been in the Word of God, and the Holy Ghost nudges you and says, Hey, 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 pray for a preacher to go talk to Johnny and you say oh God send a preacher to talk to Johnny God in Jesus name send a preacher have him tell him the gospel again and then you find out three weeks later from Johnny while you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table that old Johnny got visited by a preacher three weeks ago and he tells this weird story about how it all happened and he's like I don't even know why it happened this way and I wanted to leave the room but I just couldn't and he kept on preaching and preaching and it's like he couldn't stop and you're sitting there saying hallelujah praise God bless his holy name and you just want to get up and dance around the table and that comes from continuing in prayer and watching in with in the same and it comes with thanksgiving the thanksgiving comes as naturally as the prayer came when you're praying in accordance to the will of God in alliance with the word of God in accordance with the kingdom of God and the advancement thereof you're praying God's prayers God's way for God's work to be advanced and it's not just to consume it upon Upon your own lust, you will see God move mountains. And when you see God move mountains, you will not even have to think about it. You'll give thanks. You'll start saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, we already talked about how we like to abuse our prayers and pray for the things that we want. What kind of empty thanksgiving does that bring? Whenever we get the thing we want and we open the box and we think it's wonderful and it falls apart. And your thankfulness is going to be as deep as your prayers. If your prayers are shallow, your thankfulness will be shallow. But this is our text here today, and we're done. Colossians 3, um, chapter 4, verse 2, we studied it here. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. And tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll see some of those things that they are praying for. It actually probably will not be tomorrow. I have something special planned for tomorrow if it works out. Uh, might do a live webcast, so be ready for that. Um, but the recording will be posted online if you can't see it, if you can't watch it live. But um, praise the Lord. God is good. 
Next time we get back to Colossians, we're going to see some of these prayers that are done in accordance with the will of God and for the advancement of his kingdom in verse 3 and 4. And oh, how we need people to lay hold on Colossians 4, 3 and 4 in this day. This preacher needs some people to lay hold on Colossians 4, 3 and 4 and pray hard for God to help this preacher. I hope you will. If this has been a blessing to you, then please consider praying for this preacher in a biblical manner and study out Colossians 4, 2 through 4. And um, we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for being here. Please pray for this preacher. The Lord bless you in his own holy name. Amen.